cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the Simeon Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Merry New Year! <laughs> it is the New Year, isn't it? Although, by the time they hear this, it'll be a few weeks into the New Year. <laughs> That's true, but yeah, when we're recording this, the New Year is brand new. So. Yes, springs, it's still got that new car smell. So, well, folks, uh, we are back for another review episode. We do these once a month where we pick out the new issue of Aquaman and we pick out a classic issue of Firestorm and we go through those suckers, kind of give you the recap and our thoughts on them. And uh, it's that time again. But before we do that, we're going to thank our sponsors. Folks, the Fire and Water podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Whenever you need comics to make the grade, there's only one place, in stock trades, in stock trades. So what you got, Rob? I, I, apropos of nothing that we're going to talk about today, I just picked a book that uh, it's from Image. It's called Five Ghosts by Frank J. Barbier and Chris Mooneyham. Uh, I... Completely, I don't know if we even remember where I picked this book up. I mean, I picked it up at the comic store, but I have no idea why. I could just grab my eye and it looked cool. It's, it's about, uh, it's a very pulp adventure. I'll, I'll read the explanation here on Insect Trades. A bold new era of pulp adventure begins here. After a tragic encounter with an artifact known as the Dreamstone, infamous treasure hunter Fabian Gray was possessed by five literary ghosts and has been granted access to their unique abilities. Uh, this first trade paperback collects issues one to five of Five Ghosts, The Haunting of Fabian Gray. Page count is 128. Normal price is $9.99. In-stock trade, in stock trade price is $5.79. That's 42% off. Um, the artwork looks like uh, John Buscema inked by Klaus Janssen. Goodness. Uh, yeah, which, like, that's what really jumped out at me. It's a really fun, old-school book. 
I just really like it. It's one of those things I just found randomly, and I have been following it. So uh, try it. It's it's unique, but it's very sort of classic comic booky as well. You can't beat it. So it said trade paperback, the first volume, The Haunting of Fabian Gray, five dollars and seventy nine cents. I, that's worth trying. That's for sure. Yep. Yep. Well, folks, I've got something a little more traditional for you. Um, I picked out some a comic that I loved growing up, absolutely loved. I've revisited it at least once or twice in my life, and now the trades are on pretty good price on in-stock trades. They're the Power Pack Classic. So we're talking about the stuff that came out in the early 80s. These are the adventures of the Power family, uh, Alex, Jack, Julie, and Katie, who range from age 12 to about age 8. And uh, there's three volumes out there on in-stock trades, and it's exactly the three volumes. Three, it covers the exact issues I was thinking would be best to recommend anyway. Basically, if you pick up all three, you're going to get issues like one through 26 is what's going to get you, plus a couple of like X-Men issues and Thor issues and stuff that ties in. But this is a book written by Louise Simonson, awesome art by June Brigham, did, or Brigman. Did you ever read this book? I read it like the first, I think like the first six months, and I mm-hmm. remember thinking it was pretty good, but I think I was like just weirded out that it was like little kids, little kids just, <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I should be reading this, so I think I probably bailed on it, but I remembered it, you know, like I look back on it, I'm like, it was pretty good, and heck, they turned it into a, a TV pilot for God's sake. Oh, it's, it's really bad, it's tough to oh, watch, I tried, oh, okay. I tried to watch it a few months ago, it's pretty bad, but it, these comics, I, I always talk about Find Your Joy, these comics are so much fun. They're truly, truly fun. These kids are exploring their powers. They're having fun with them. There's all the stuff you'd expect with young kids. You know, they've got school problems. Um, but personally, like my, some of my favorite alien races of Marvel came out of this, the Snarks. They look so cool. They're these lizard creatures with, like, backwards legs and everything. They look phenomenal. June Brigman's art was just gorgeous for this stuff. So as the series progresses, they get involved with Mutant Massacre. Which is, you know, I, mean, I know, it's like this horrible, shocking thing, and these kids are in the sewers, and Wolverine has to protect them. Um, I mean, it's really great. They touch on some Thor stuff. Y- they, they fight, uh, if you've ever read the series, these are the stories that, you know, where they meet the Boogeyman. They meet the Beyonder from Secret Wars 2. They meet Spider-Man, the New Mutants. There's a, the Franklin Richards sort of joins their team, kind of, as a fifth member. It's a great run. Get them on in-stock trades right now. Uh, the first volume, 256 pages. Uh, normally 30 bucks, and that's what's always kept me from rebuying these. One is I own the issue somewhere in a box. The other is 30 bucks. I was like, I can't do that. But you can get this one on sale for 50, or as of right now, 50% off. So $14.99 for 256 pages of a great comic. The, se- the second and third volume, uh, a little bit larger. Um, anyway, their cost is a little bit more. They're, they're going to be also 30 bucks, but discounted to $16.49 each. So $14.99, $16.49, $16.49. Pick up all three of them. You won't regret it. Trust me. Send me an email th- or even a postcard thanking me because you, you will need to after you read them. So, Folks, again, In Stock Trades, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off or 50% in this case, with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. So, uh, Aquaman fighting King Gorilla Kong? Gorilla Grodd, yes. Yeah. Aquaman number 37. This is Maelstrom. Part three, uh, subtitle is The Cunning of Queens. Got to watch how you say that. Jeff Parker. <laughs> I Paul, the same Paul, thing. Paul, Paul Pelletier. That, that word's tough. Paul Pelletier, Sean Parsons, Rain Barreto, uh, and a bunch of other people. Um, this is it. This is part three of the Maelstrom saga. Basically, uh, Aquaman's trail of what happened to his mother the night that she supposedly died 
leads him into this dimensional portal that she used to escape and fake her death. It leads to, of all places, Gorilla City. And they get there, they are they meet Solovar, of course, who's the, the eternal king of uh, Gorilla City. And he explains to Aquaman and Mira, uh, first of all, he explains to them, you know, why Grodd, uh, why Grodd is left alive. Because Grodd is a killer, a massacre of humans and other gorillas. And they explain that the reason he's kept in prison, as opposed to just being sort of summarily executed, is because the apes of Gorilla City are sort of like one collective consciousness, which is sort of similar to what they talked about in Atlantis a couple of issues previous. And all of the anger and hate that the gorillas have is fed into Grodd. He is sort of the, the uh, repository for all of that stuff, and they don't want to become like Grodd, so they sort of use him as the guy that has holds all of their anger and stuff like that, which is, you know, kind of nasty. Anyway, it's revealed that Grodd was the one running Gorilla City when Atlanta showed up. So Aquaman and Mira go to visit him. Grodd basically says, I will tell you what happened that night, but uh, you have to give me something. And of course, you know, Solovar's like, well, we're not going to free you. And he's like, no, 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 I know I'm never going to be freed. I just want to fight. I just want to challenge. Because I am incredibly bored sitting here with my vast intellect and basically nothing to do. So Aquaman and Grodd get into a giant fight. And Grodd, for a little while, it looks like he's taking the lead on Aquaman. The fight spills out out of the cell into the jungle. And they really beat the crap of each other. But Aquaman comes out triumphant. And there's a great whole page of him just pounding the crap out of Grodd with his fists and his feet at the end, which is great. Grodd is laying there bleeding. He explains that what happened when he was there when Atlanta, Atlanta showed up. She was only there momentarily. She basically showed up long enough to steal one of the little teleportation stone things that they use to disappear. He also gives, into, he also gives, in, gives a, a brief history of the connection between Atlantis and Gorilla City and that originally the gorillas of Gorilla City were just gorillas. They're just normal gorillas. Atlanteans centuries before had showed up and enslaved the gorillas and gave them some technology which developed their brains just enough that they could become slaves. And all the gorillas were slaves of Atlantis, and that learned to, turned into a war. And there's this whole thing explaining that Grodd um, develops the um, envelops, not develops, envelops the intellect of his enemies by eating their brains. So that's <laughs> that's fun. Uh, Grodd then grabs Aquaman's trident, knocks him over jumps into the portal to disappear, and Aquaman follows behind, despite the fact that Mira is saying, Arthur, don't, you'll never return. And that is the end of the issue, with Aquaman and Grodd heading off to who knows where uh, into uh, the Jeff, dimensional Jeff portal. Jeff Parker knows where. Jeff Parker knows where, certainly. Absolutely. <laughs> so that is Aquaman number 37. My super quick review of it is I'm of two minds of the subject. Uh, one, on the negative side, there's a lot of info dumping in this issue. Uh, there's two different sections where there's just people explaining things, yada, da, 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 and this happened, that happened. And I was a little like, oh, okay, all right. And then the other one is, didn't we just do this dance where Aquaman is going through a dimensional portal and he might not come back with Hercules? Like, that was like six issues ago where that was sort of the same idea. So I'm like, all right, kind of enough with the dimensional portals. Like, okay. Um, that said, those complaints aside, I really did enjoy this issue because I've always loved Gorilla Grodd. I think he's one of DC's more fun villains. It's them embracing their goofy roots. Uh, And I love Aquaman facing off against Grodd. Um, In fact, I tweeted out a picture today at Jeff Parker of Aquaman and Grodd facing off in an episode of Challenge of the Super Friends. And, (laughs) And I wrote to Jeff and I said, I hope that Jeff Parker includes this 
into the Maelstrom story before it's over. And then he retweeted it. Oh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm taking that as an acknowledgement that he is doing exactly that. Um, he's following your plan. He's following my plan. He's rewriting plan. the storyline. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I really dig, I really dig Grill Garot. I love that Aquaman is facing off against Grill God. I've mentioned this in previous episodes that I like it when Aquaman meets other villains from the DC universe. He's it's not always just black mana and ocean master. So that, that's a lot of fun. I, I, I and I, it was sort of funny. The excuse of like, Garage is like, I just want to fight. And when right. you first read that, you're like, oh, come on. But then you realize, no, of course, he's got a plan that he's hiding from Solovar, uh, whatever. And, you know, so I, I enjoyed it very much. This was actually my, f- up until the very end, this, is, this was my favorite issue of the Maelstrom storyline so far. Okay. Uh, I loved the heck of it. I, the info dumps, I didn't even notice like that it was too much. I, I was so wrapped up in it. I was totally on board with it. I love the whole Stargate, you know, World Gate kind of concepts. Uh, was really digging that. That what the only thing that held me back was when I realized it was a to be continued. Like I know it's in the middle of a saga, right. but I thought it was a one and done within the saga okay. up to that point. I was All like, right. oh yeah, one and done. I'm so happy. And then when they went jump through together, I'm like, oh, like there's going to be this little diversion with Grodd, but that yeah. would be it, right? I okay. thought it was a perfect little you know sidestep. Now I'm sure it'll all flow together nicely, and I'll be fine with it. But that was just disappointing to me. That I was like, oh, I want a one and done so bad. Mm-hmm. But that that aside. Really enjoyed it. Loves Pelletier again. Great art. I mean, starts off with two whales or a pod of whales pulling up, you know, a fallen wall, which is just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Gorgeous work right there. Now, by the way, you talked about Grodd and how much you like him. Do you know on the cover? It's not inside because he's a prisoner, but on the cover, he's wearing that helmet with a with sort of a tusk on it. Have you mm-hmm. noticed that? Do you know what that's for? Uh, what do it's you mean? Gross. The tusk specifically. Well, it's to ram people. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like he a rhino it. horn, yeah. He used it in Flash. He what okay. he would do is headbutt people, <laughs> crack their skull open, and slurp out their brains. Well, he's wearing it in the flashback. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So in the Flash comic in the New Fifty Two, he was wearing this helmet, and that was the purpose of it. It was all tied to eating brains. Was it was quicker <laughs> access to the brain? Which is like, ew. <laughs> it makes perfect sense, but ew, it's gross. Hey, Grodd comes to win. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Pelletier art, on page six, I think it is. It's the page where Mara basically says, excuse me, is anyone going to introduce me? She is so hot right there. Just, Pel- Pelletier woo. has got Mira, I don't want to say Mira nailed. That's inappropriate. He, uh, has, <laughs> he has got her down. He really, really does. He, I think he had a handle on her physically from almost his first issue. I think Aquaman, it took him a little longer. But Mira, and every issue, he gives Mira some interesting body language. I, I, don't, see your, I don't see your bottom lip panel this issue, though. No, like, I don't. Well, no. Wait a minute. There is one. Uh, shoot, where is it? I saw it. Dagnabbit. Oh, uh, pay, the the splash page. It's sort of bottom lit. I'd let her bottom. Uh, all right. All right you knew that was coming, guys. No, no, I didn't. I was disappointed. Oh, anyway, okay. no, no. Yeah, um, if sort of. if yeah. and when Pelletier ever leaves Aquaman, I mean, it's inevitable at some point. I would love to see him do a mirror strip. I, I don't know. I don't want Mira to get her own book. That's too much. But I would love to see Mira get like a, you know, like a, like a mini or something. And I think he'd be the great, a great guy to do. Well, he's always drawn, drawn smoking hot women. I mean, back in the 90s when his style was very different. And again, that may have to do more to do with his inker. But uh, when he drew Exiles and Exmunes, I mean, it was just total I cheesecake. Don't, I don't, I don't, in this case, I'm not talking about cheesecake, although that is nice. Yeah. Uh, what I get more is like. She's also powerful. It, it, he gives her a consistent um, 
bit of characterization from issue to issue using her body language. Mm -hmm. I think Aquaman, he didn't quite have that down. But Mira strikes certain poses that, to me, convey her personality without having to have dialogue where she's saying things that, you know, that is like laying pipe. You know what I mean? Like it's, and I think he got that from the beginning with her. And I, I just, I find it, she's always, to me, she's always doing something interesting in the panel, even when she's not the focus of the panel. Just, just for clarification, I'm pretty sure the nuclear subs took a vote and said, you're not allowed to use laying pipe anymore. It means, it means exposition. Just use info dump. Okay. Dump is terrible, a terrible word as well. It's worse to talk about Mira and laying pipe. I'm just saying. Mira can't lay pipe. Never mind. No, let, never mind. Anyway, yes, uh, I, I think I've said this to you privately before. I don't know if I've said this on the show, but, you know, the, the rumors of a second Aquaman series down the pike uh, after uh, Aquaman and the others concludes, I would love it to be an Aquaman and Mera book, you know, and give Mera a chance to, I mean, Mera alone would be great, but if, it, it, but if it's an Aquaman book, then Aquaman and Mera would be the ideal book to do. It, Mira has only had her own strip one time, for three issues back in 1977, and that's the only time she's ever been a solo star. Uh, I think she's high. I mean, you could sort of say she was solo in Blackest Night, but that really wasn't her own thing. I think she is overdue for, like, I, I think just maybe a mini would be cool, like a six-issue mini, and you trade it out, there you go, done. You know, I, that would be really, really interesting. That'd be cool. Yep. You know, if they still had an anthology book, she'd be ideal for it. I, so. I was going to say, but, you know, nobody's doing anthologies. But, yeah, I yeah. think she would be great. She would be great for that. Two other things. One is uh, I love on the cover how the tree is growing, like how the buildings have been built around the tree. The trees are shooting yeah, through it. Yeah, yeah, it's just a really nice touch on how the, the gorillas live in harmony with, with the forest. Yep. And I just have a question in general. The world gates and things like that where they're – so far it, it takes them to other dimensions, but it also hops them around the planet. Right. We see, right? <sighs> It, it came to me sort of like in a haze, and I don't remember all the details, but during the Sword of Atlantis run, when Tad Williams was writing it, right. weren't there a bunch of underwater gates like this? Like Aquaman, and he had that weird little octopus guy named Topo, and they were using the gates so he could get you know to the other side of the world quickly? I think you might be right. I have to go back and reread those, but you might be right, yeah. I'm going to let you do that okay. because Homework. I'm – uh, well, I'm not going to reread the Tad Williams run. I'd be happy to reread the Kurt Busiek run, but not the Tad Williams run. Not uh, my favorite. I'd be happy to reread. I didn't think that was so bad. So I struggled with it. So. Right, a lot of people okay. did. But uh, it would be, you know, I wonder if the World Gates are because because Jeff's pulled a lot of stuff in the past before. Yes. Usually it's Silver Age stuff he pulls rather than Modern Age stuff. So right. I don't know whether the World Gates are pulling from Tad Williams stuff or it's just something that's coincidental on it. You know. Mm-hmm. So, good stuff. Good. Yeah. Good. It's, it's it. These guys are super, super consistent. In fact, the other day when I posted the review for this issue, somebody on the Aquaman Shrine's Facebook page said, uh, Jeff Parker and Paul Pelletier, this is his favorite run of Aquaman. And yeah. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. You know, that, that's, that's, that's remarkable that, uh, to, to a couple people at least, like this is already like their, their Aquaman is this Aquaman. And that's, that's cool. cool. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I mean, that's really, that's we talk about finding your joy, and we've mentioned about that. And it's like everyone has their own version, and mm-hmm. it's like that's great to know that, that there's a bunch of people that to them this is in their mind this is going to be my you know to me my Aquaman is Jim Aparo, and this is their version. Like they yep. will always have a warm feeling of oh yeah those Pelletier Parker issues, and that that's super. Yep. 
Okay, I lied. Remember how I said I had one more thing? I have two more yeah, things. Okay. I know, you don't know how to side. count. I don't know how to count. I noticed Aquaman, you know, he always puts the trident behind his back when he's going around places. Right. How does that stick to his back? I, I assume he's got, it's some sort of, you know, like the way his gloves are, like his hand gloves are separate from the wrist thingies. Yeah. I assume he's got some sort of like little magnetized hootie hoo in his back and it just slaps it on. Oh, it's a hootie hoo. Right. Yeah. I saw those on Amazon. I was yeah. thinking about ordering some hootie hoos right. myself. You can buy them now. Yep. And then the other thing was, this is just an observation. Clear, I'm sure you noticed this, and just in case the readers at home missed it, the tablets, the, mm-hmm. the, the Stargate chevrons, if you will, right. the dialing codes, the tablet that was broken that the guy, the, you know, after Aquaman went through to Gorilla City, the, the scientists left behind in Atlantis were like, oh, hey, I found this tablet that's broken. I wonder why. The symbol on there matches the symbol used in the trade dress of Maelstrom. Yes. So yes. that's clearly the indicator of where Aquaman's mom went. So, yeah, nice little, so. nice little, nice little visual cue clue. Yeah, so. good stuff. Cool. All right, anything else? No, I think we're done. All right, moving on to... The Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, issue 17, cover dated October 1983. But folks, if you want to pick up a pristine copy of this, the one where you can hold it to your nose and go sniff the newsprint, you need to travel back in time. Get get your DeLorean. What's that? Can't get enough of that sound. I tell you. They love it at home. Load up the Mr. Fusion and head back to July 7th, 1983. So just a few days after July 4th, July 7th, 1983, you get a pristine copy of this comic. There are other time machines. You always just reference the DeLorean. There are other time machines in popular fiction. I have mentioned TARDISes, and I think when we started this segment three years ago, I was saying Wayback Machines. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I'm wrong. You can... What, what time machine would you like me to use? HG Wells? Uh, yeah, that, that would be fun. But no, but now, you know what? I shouldn't have, you know, we'll edit this part out. I shouldn't have said that because you're right. You have said Wayback Machine, so that's. You don't have to edit this out. That's fine. People can know we fight like brothers and sisters, <laughs> you, you being the sister, ideally. It is I'm called Fire and Water, com- after I'm all. Perfectly comfortable with my feminine side. The Fire and Water, it, for those at home, just so you know, it goes beyond just Firestorm and Aquaman. It's because Fire and Water don't mix, and Rob and I <laughs> usually have problems. Water so. puts fire out, that's all I'm saying. Oh my God! Fire will evaporate water. So, I'm just uh, again. This is the crap we normally leave off air that you guys don't hear. <laughs> it's bad. We are that lake in Ohio that was on fire once in the '80s, and <laughs> <laughs> that it's a terrible, terrible, tragic thing. And we're laughing about it. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. Okay. On the cover, you've got you know, you've got the bold logo Fury of Firestorm, and it says versus Firehawk. So you have this new character. We have no idea who she is. She's this flaming woman, and she is. Punching Firestorm, like an uppercut. And she's got flaming wings. I don't really have to describe her that much detail. You all know who Firehawk is at home. But anyway, cover is by Pat Broderick and Dick Giordano. It's an awesome cover. It's a very tight shot. I never really realized it until recently, really looking at it. They're, it's sort of zoomed in pretty close. They're, they're very, very physically close to each other. And, uh, but it looks, looks great. Really wonderful cover. Once you get inside, this is a Jerry Conway, Pat Broderick, Roden Rodriguez, Adam Kubert, Carl Gafford, and... A little help from George Tuska. Joint between them, folks. And the name of the issue is On Wings of Fire. And that is um, the logo that appears on page four. And it's sort of interesting. I don't mean to jump ahead, but that logo on Wings of Fire, the word wings is, is got, it's orange, and it's got blue wings underneath it. And it's almost sort of foretelling Firehawk's second costume. It's very strange how it... Really is very like if you showed me this and said Firehawk, I would immediately think of her second costume, not the first costume. So it's almost 
It reminds me of the bird lady from Masters of the Universe. Oh, yeah. She was um, blue and the sorcerer, orange. The sorceress. Wasn't it? I, I forget. But, yeah, she yeah. had a blue and orange color scheme. And she was it does. Like it does. I see that, yeah. But for me, I see Firehawk's second costume. So, either way. Um, so, this is actually part four of the six-part storyline. They don't label it as such, but it's a six-part storyline. This is part four, so we're past the halfway mark. Um, at a 10,000-foot level, this issue, really, it's about a young man grieving for the loss of his father. And while he's sort of wallowing in his misery, he's attacked by a new foe. So that's really, at a very high level, that's what this story's about. You've got seven distinct scenes over the course of 23 pages. Starts off uh, with a funeral for Ed Raymond, which is Ronnie Raymond's father. Last issue, if you don't remember, Ronnie's father was blown up good. And <laughs> it's not really very respectful of a funeral, is it? <laughs> anyway, uh, Ronnie is grieving. He's, he's very distraught. He's, he's sort of... Uh, you know, having a hard time accepting that this has even happened, and uh, denial almost, if you would. And then he talks with his girlfriend, um, Doreen Day, her family, says, look, Ronnie, here's what's going to happen. You're going to stay with us. Because at this point, remember, Ronnie's a high school kid. He's a high school kid, and his dad's dead. Where's he going to go? His mother's been dead for years. So anyway, Doreen's dad, dad says, you're going to stay with us for a little while, Ronnie. He sees Professor Stein. He says, give me about 10 minutes, Professor, which at that point I didn't quite understand, but it makes sense in a minute. Cliff Carmichael comes up, actually tries to be civil and human to Ronnie, which is very nice. And we see a scene of Principal Hapgood, the principal of the school who was friends with Ed Raymond. He's off to the side talking to somebody in a car. You kind of, it doesn't say it, but you kind of accept that the guy's probably, that the principal's talking to is probably a government agent. Anyway, the guy says that, um, well, the principal wants to tell Ronnie that something. He goes, he needs to, he deserves to know it was his father. And the agent's saying, no, you can't do it. That's breaking the rules. Ed Raymond broke the rules by coming back to New York, and he paid the price. So you're like, whoa, what is going on here? And that, so that's the end of the first scene. Then we go on to the second scene, which is 10 minutes later. Earlier I said, Ronnie's told the professor, give me 10 minutes. Well, that's what he meant. They're off as Firestorm now. 10 minutes later, they're off flying through New York, and Ronnie is angry. He is angry as hell about the murder of his father. And they spend several, several pages sort of speculating what could have happened? Who could have blown up his father? Ronnie's blaming himself. They, at one point, they start to consider Plastique, perhaps, because Plastique's well-known for explosives. Uh, but they point out something where Ronnie actually says that Plastique was a dinosaur and that the trouble that she was trying to stir up was long over in Quebec. So it's almost like acknowledging a few issues ago where Plastique came forward with all those Canadian issues where all of our, our, our listeners of our show wrote, even, wrote in and even said that this story was 10 years too late. So it's almost like that sort of caught up with them, and now they're saying in the story that Plastique was a dinosaur, and she shouldn't have even been interested in that stuff. There's some great scenes of, of Firestorm flying around. He's actually surfing, uh, in a way, while he's flying. It looks really cool. Anyway, uh, the end of it is Ronnie is blaming himself. He's very upset. He keeps saying, if I had done this, if only I had done this. Next scene, we cut to uh, Hewitt, um, Henry Hewitt, who's the chairman of the... Uh, Hewitt Industries, but he's also secretly working for the 2000 Committee. He is talking to Multiplex and uh, his little hired goon, Maxwell. They've been hired to recreate the accident that created Firestorm. Meanwhile, we see that Senator Riley is still being held prisoner. And finally, Senator Riley's daughter, Lorraine, who has been brainwashed and has basically uh, been left a completely blank slate, they recreate the accident that created Firestorm around her. The, the reaction almost goes completely out of control, and she steps out as Firehawk complete in costume as well. 
Multiplex uh, speculates that perhaps each exposure to the experimental nuclear pile produces a different effect. Hewitt is clearly in control of Lorraine. In fact, he gives her the Firehawk name, and he has basically complete mental control over her, and even they have this sort of mantra they say where he goes, I am you, you are me, because he's completely controlling what she does. Then we get a very, very half-page Sweet scene at the day house. Again, it's Ronnie's girlfriend. She's talking to her dad, and she's just envisioning how tough it must be for Ronnie and how her, how much it would upset her if she lost her dad. And as a father, that seems very touching to me. So, Then we uh, have a, a little later here, we have a scene with Roxanne Sharp, who's a, an investigative reporter for WGBS. She is in Washington investigating Sen Senator Riley. Because Senator Riley, who's the most liberal senator in Washington, voted recently to support a nuclear monopoly. Very strange move. Mean, and at the same time, this confirms for her that his daughter has gone missing and the Nuclear uh, Regulation Committee is there investigating all of it. So she jumps in her car and runs off. She's probably going to report it all to her boss, Morgan Edge, I'm sure. <laughs> I just had to slip a Morgan Edge reference in there because it's fun. Then uh, the, the majority of the rest of the issue is, is caught up with Firestorm uh, battling Firehawk. He, he sits for a few more hours being sort of depressed and he just decides ultimately he needs to get some time and clear his head. That's when Firehawk attacks. That's when that's when it's just it's a huge fight. You get a great splash page of Firehawk slugging Firestorm. Uh, really nicely done. Some gorgeous Broderick art there. And then uh, it's interesting. As they fight, they fight for several pages. Firestorm never takes a swing at her. He never blasts her. He never takes a swing at her. Nothing. All he does is act defensively because she is accidentally setting fires all over the place. She clearly doesn't have control of her powers. As she's flying over buildings, her flames are leaping off and setting other buildings on fire. So he's putting out the fires. He's creating um, extinguisher foam, things like that, and completely defensive. Meanwhile, she's punching him and doing all kinds of stuff. Finally, he has had enough. He has decided he's, he's had enough of her crap. He tackles her. He does like a flying attack. It tackles her. They go flying through a church, and it knocks her out. Now, at first, I was sort of like, he tackled her and knocked her out. Well, you step back from it and remember, Ronnie is a football player. He probably knows how to tackle someone and cause some pain. So we can just kind of get past that. So he tackles her, knocks her out. She immediately transforms back into Lorraine Riley, naked, by the way. Um, Ronnie is very, very upset. And he all the, all the misery of losing his father, what's happened to Lorraine at this point, he's putting it all on himself. He's He's... he's horribly upset. He's like, everything I touch goes bad. Everything I care for dies. So, And he's apologizing to him. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Then we get one final sort of teaser page at the end with this guy, Henry Hewitt, and he's talking to his little minions, and he says that uh, Firehawk was a failure, but he himself is going to be the next nuclear man. Dun, dun, dun. Next issue, Tokamak! And I'm sure that drove all the little fanboys to their dictionary to go, what the hell is that? So, before I get into all my details, what did you think? I remember I actually bought this one off the stands in 1983. Ah. I didn't buy Firestorm consistently, but I remember buying this one. Uh, Art-wise, Rodan Rodriguez really does the heavy lifting. because <laughs> Yes, he does. He sort of, I, I should use this phrase, but sort of covers up for George Tusca a bit. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you can tell when the book shifts to Tusca. You can just tell right. by the poses and the faces. Right around page 16, yeah. Yeah. But it it looks pretty consistent uh, for the most part. And, you know, we've talked about George Tuska before. I actually do like the man's work. I don't think he was a great uh, – I was about to – I've said previously I didn't think he was great on superheroes, but then people pointed out that he had a great run on Iron Man, which is true. So I have to amend that. I think at this point in his life, 
he wasn't doing very good superhero stuff. And usually when he got, you know, when they gave him some huge superhero stuff to do, I was kind of like, oh, God. Um, so I'm glad that Roden Rodriguez like really sort of dominates the pencils here. Um, you can mostly tell it's Tusk up in the faces and, and Firestorm's poofy, permy fire hair that he loves to give me. Um, thematically, it's like it's a, or dramatically, actually, it's a perfect time to introduce Firehawk because you've killed off the father. And the father was in the book a lot. Like, he had a big part in the series. They didn't kill him off. Hmm? They didn't. They didn't kill her. Oh, oh, Ronnie's dad. Yeah. Who do you, oh, who do you God, I'm sorry. About? I thought you meant Lorraine's dad. No, no. Ed. Oh. Ed. Gee, okay, yes, Ed. You saw him explode. What are you talking well, yeah, about? Yeah, but 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 her, you said Firehawk and you said the dad. I was thinking okay. her dad because her dad was actually no. in the issue. No, anyway, no. Ronnie's ahead. dad, who was, yep. who was a, a fairly large character in the series to this point. Uh, every other issue, he's slapping Ronnie around and stuff. So he was in the book a lot, and so that's a big void left by killing him off. So it makes sense to now, oh, now we're going to insert this new character who, as we know, ended up becoming like a big deal to Firestorm. So um, in terms of keeping all the sort of plates spinning, it makes sense to, to bring him in. And it sort of enlarges Firestorm's role in DCU because it gives him like a female sidekick, which every major superhero has to have at some point, like some sort of female version, <laughs> Supergirl, Batgirl, you know, sort of Mira a, a little bit. Um so, it, you know, it makes Firestorm seem like a bigger deal, that the concept is so amazing that we're going to do, like, this sort of female version. And I always like Firehawk. Um, I like the later costume better. You mentioned it previously. Um, but although this one's pretty good. The, 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 the fight is really good. I did have to chuckle on the last page, though, that the last dialogue is given to, what's his name? Maxwell? Henry, Henry Hewitt. Henry Hewitt. Because yeah. he, all his dialogue is... Yeah, little tiny whispers. Yeah. So it's very hard to do like a dramatic final balloon when you whisper. Oh, he does have an exclamation point, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, the next one. I don't think what? anyone at home can hear you. Huh? <laughs> what? What? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's just very funny to have a guy whispering as your dramatic sting at the end. That's just very, very funny to me. You know, so, I didn't mention that either, by the way, in my recap. I've mentioned in previous episodes, if you're not familiar, Henry Hewitt is. Uh, not quite an invalid, I guess, but he's 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 chairbound. Right. Uh, he's very sickly, uh, very weak, and well, he is, doesn't look sickly though. I mean, he, well, is, he doesn't look it. He's big. He didn't. He didn't his first appearance, right. I think, uh, when Broderick first drew him. But he basically, you know, any infectious disease could kill him. You right. know, even the common cold. And he's very weak. And in the shows, like even his, as Rob was describing his word balloons, his word balloons are normal size, but the letters are real tiny. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Adam Pubert had to get out his magnifying glass. And he's like, oh, yeah, he was it. young. His eyes were good. He was still. Right. <laughs> um, so, no, it's it's a good issue. Fire Firehawk is a, a major plus for the Firestorm mythos. And so this is, a you know, like, oh, great. She's here now. Cool. Well, in regard to Tuska, he the reason he was brought in, and it doesn't say it here, but Broderick was busy drawing the annual at this point. Mm. The annual is about to come up. The annual takes place right after issue 18. So we're one issue, basically one month away from the annual coming out. So, you know, Broderick's doing double duty. So there's no way he could finish all of it. Right. They do announce in the letters page, actually, they, they thank George Tuska. And they mention that they, they don't so much say Broderick's leaving, but they say that they're getting an exciting new talent of Raphael K. Annan on board very soon. So this is, you know, we're, we're just a short couple months away from Broderick leaving the book. But Canyon's going to be great. And I'm glad you brought up Roden Rodriguez. We did a whole episode dedicated to unsung heroes many, many months ago. Oh, yeah. And my unsung hero was Roden Rodriguez because he was the glue that held the book together. Because when Broderick left yep. and Canon took over, 
It wasn't seamless, but it was very smooth. Right. There was a house style for Firestorm, and Roden Rodriguez ensured that it was consistent. And as you said, he did that here for George, which is saying a lot because I'm I'm not a fan of George Tusca during right. this period drawing superhero comics. And unfortunately, this is not the last time we're going to see him on Firestorm. We're going right. to see him, I believe, two other occasions down the line, which are very distressing to me. Um, this one actually looks the best because of Roden. Yeah, uh, Roden is a very dominant anchor, no doubt about it. Yep. You talked about Firehawk. Interestingly enough, you know, she appears in a costume. Fully, you know, she's fully formed in her superhero costume. Well, that's not her power. She doesn't have the power to create things. <laughs> <laughs> she's not like Firestorm. She has fire powers. Uh, so there, there's, it's funny. I, I never really put it together, but in Crisis on Infinite Earths, her costume gets tattered. And she creates a new costume for herself. And she said, you know, they talk about her using molecular reconstruction to create a new costume for herself, which left many Firestorm fans scratching their heads going, she doesn't have that power. Wait a minute. And in fact, Tom Zoller and I had a conversation via email a long time ago about this very subject. You know, like, how did she get one power for three panels and never again? Well, now I'm sitting here looking at it. Maybe she does have molecular restructuring specifically for her clothes. Because if you think about it, and this is really getting deep in the match head nerdism. Sorry, guys. But she, you know, she first appears in a costume. That had to come from somewhere. Every time she transforms between her and Firehawk, it's like a ba-boom kind of moment. She doesn't put a clothes on. It's a, it's a Shazam almost kind of transformation, you know? And so maybe she is creating the costume every time. Maybe she does have molecular reconstruction, but it's only on her own uniform. Or she has it and she just doesn't realize it and there's like a mental block from allowing her from using it on anything else or something. But... Totally no prizing this. Rob's fallen asleep, but I do believe that Firehawk has some sort of ability to control the appearance of her costume, which he also explains later on because she has like later on she has pointed ears. You know, years from now when they bring her back, why why she have pointed ears? Again, I think she's controlling her appearance. So. I find Mike Bailey's because comics really fits a lot of situations. Because comics, okay, fair enough. I don't I don't know who. It's an all-purpose excuse. I don't know who originated that. I don't know if that's a Michael Bailey or a Sean Engel or a Andrew Leyland. I don't know who came up with that first, but anyway. It's handy. Uh, no matter who came up with it, it's very handy. Yep. A couple other things to note in this. Uh, Ronnie does, in his grief, he does call Professor Stein Martin, which I thought was very sweet and sort of poignant. I was like, oh, You know, they're, they're becoming friends as opposed to, he always called him Professor and Professor always called him Ronald. Right. You know, so it's sort of a, a nice gesture. A couple fun pop culture references in here, the Go-Go's and Mike Wallace. My dad used to tell a story. My dad worked for a TV station. He used to tell me a story that the scariest thing you, you never wanted to hear was, Mike Wallace is here to see you. <laughs> right, right, right. So that was great. Uh, another huge thing to talk about here, Firestorm, and Jerry Conway clearly did this purposefully, Firestorm goes through the, the stages of grief right here in this comic book. He goes through all five, well, he goes through the first four stages of grief in this comic. The first one is denial. At the funeral, he's sitting here going, I can't believe it. I keep saying it over and over, but I can't believe it. Then, the next stage is anger. Right after the funeral, he's flying away, and he is pissed off. He is angry as, as he can be. The next stage is bargaining. And when he's sitting there in the garbage scout talking to the professor, he, I, I, he is doing exactly what bargaining is. He's keep going, if I'd shown up earlier, if I had done this, what if I had done this, what if I had done something different? Then finally, the fourth stage is depression, and I think that's what we're seeing at the end, when Firehawk is injured, or I'm sorry, Lorraine is injured, and he's blaming himself for it, and he's right. just weeping Everything over I it. touch, right. Yeah, so I think we actually see the first four stages, the fifth stage is acceptance, but I think we're seeing all four stages of grief right here. I don't think it's supposed to happen that fast, but 
it's interesting that Jerry took the time to do that. Everything so thought, in the world of superhero comics is accelerated. Sure, but I just thought that was a really smart touch from a writing perspective. Yeah, that's fun. I never, I had no conception of that at all, but you're right. Yep. So, well, folks, that is Fury of Firestorm number 17 in a nutshell. We got two more issues. We got number 18, and then we go to annual number one, and this is going to be a fun ride. So, woof, I can't wait. So, by the way, we should have mentioned at the top of the show, uh, please, if you care to share any thoughts online, go ahead and include the hashtag poundfwpodcast. That's poundfwpodcast. That would be awesome sauce, if you don't mind. Uh, that way we can find your comments. We'll see what's going on, what you're thinking. And then I think we are going to go to listener feedback. Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. And we listen to the Fire and Water podcast. Huge fans. Look forward to it, Robin Shag. Okay, and uh, we, thank you for that little plug. We appreciate that. And we got a couple of iTunes reviews. Want to give a shout-out thank you to Angry Hero. He said, this podcast really got me into comic books again. Uh, from Michael CPA, I got caught up in the Guys Who's Who podcast a few months ago. It's been a blast to drag out the old issues and follow along. Love the guys' insight and humor. Uh, recently started listening to and enjoying the Aquaman Firestorm New 52 recaps and review as well. But now with Aquaman New 52 and Firestorm Classic, awesome. Thank you, Michael. Michael, you didn't spell classic right. It's classic. <laughs> to make fun of Rob. We heard from Powerman77. He says, I'm not an Aquaman or Firestorm fan, but enjoy all the info that you guys give. Went back and listened to the older podcast. Now I'm caught up. Keep up the good work. We heard from our buddy Bradley Null. Bradley is a huge supporter of the show. We really appreciate it. He sent us an email, and he's a huge supporter over on Instagram. He wrote, uh, this is just a quick note to say thank you for the incredible podcast. I started listening to the Fire and Water podcast one episode before the first Who's Who. I've been a fan of Firestorm since I bought the Fire, Fury Firestorm number one off the racks. So when I saw a podcast where he was half the show, I figured I'd listen. I was not at the, I was not at the time an Aquaman fan. <laughs> However, my Lady River was, and still is, fond of, the def- of defending the King Arthur of Atlantis. Coolest has name a, for a girlfriend ever, by the way. That is a cool name for a girlfriend. And uh, he says, she has a Bruce only has a city bat fan annoying speech that I find adorable. <laughs> I, if you don't know what he's talking about there, he means Bruce only has a city, Aquaman has, you know, 75% of the planet. So it's great. Not only does she have a cool name, but she has like a comic book theory about Batman. That's, she's a winner, Bradley. Hold on to her. He says, your recent coverage of classic Firestorm is currently in the middle of my favorite storyline. I love hearing Shag echo my feelings about it. I also, I have, sorry, I have also become an actual fan of Aquaman as I have listened. At first I thought it was just because Jeff Johns was writing him, and Mr. Johns makes me like things like Hawkman or Hal uh, better than Spectre Jordan that I don't normally like. However, I still like the book, and I've gone back and read some of the Peter David stuff, so count me among the converted. Thank you, Bradley. We got a message from Earth to Chris, my co-host over the Power Records podcast and the host of his own show, Supermates Podcast. Can we get some Superman hot cocoa with that Superman peanut butter, please? I forgot that there was <laughs> Superman hot cocoa. It's, the merchandising's awesome. Nice Superman 3 stinger at the end. Ah, the wrong-headedness of that movie never ceases to amaze me. I still like the evil Soup's Clark fight and the chemical lab rescue, though, plus Annette O'Toole. Yeah, baby. Uh, but this is an Aquaman <laughs> Firestorm podcast. He didn't write, oh, baby. I, I added that. I felt it was implicit, but I added right. that. Uh, but this is an Aquaman Firestorm podcast. At least that's what I've heard. Arthur and John being old chummy is a sign of the cracks in the new 52. We've seen this in the post-crisis era, which admittedly was much more free-willing than the latest reboot. 
but eventually writers started to bring back connections and relationships and previous continuity. I chalked this up to Parker saying, well, nobody said they weren't friends, right? Either way, I like it. Man, that Firestorm cover is a nail-biter. I hadn't noticed the body in the blast till Shag pointed it out. I really do wish DC would at least do a showcase presents on this. Like the Irredeemable one said, the time couldn't be better for some Firestorm trade paperbacks, Chris. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. Yeah, he's on TV, for God's sakes. Well, you know, the guy, the, the guy at DC, the public relations guy, he actually, this is a few months back, but he actually tweeted the cover of Fury Firestorm number one. And I'm thinking, that's got to be a hint. That's right. got to be a hint. So I'm still hoping it is. All right. We heard from our buddy Kyle Benning. It's funny. Kyle sort of ki- kicked off a couple of comments, which all seem to be about our in-stock trades picks. <laughs> it's like that's half the discussion. Um, by the way, I should mention, we're mainly just covering feedback from the last review episode. So if you've written us a letter that's about um, either who's who or a general's comment about the Fire and Water or our Star Wars episodes or whatever, we will get to those. But this time we're really kind of honing in on stuff that came in around the time of the last review episode where we covered Aquaman and Firestorm. Yes. We're lucky to get, I'm sorry. We're lucky to get a lot, so much feedback, and so we find this is a, a better manageable way of dealing with it, and that way we, it doesn't pile up. Yeah, exactly. So, and I, you know, we, I, we should say another thank you to the folks at home. You guys are absolutely amazing with the amount of feedback you give us. I am honored. I'm touched. It, it makes my like my holiday season was that much brighter just from seeing all the feedback that would come in, hearing from you guys, uh, the messages you sent, whatever. I mean, the, the stripper gram that one of y'all sent, I really appreciate. Um, it's it's very special, and um, thank you. I really appreciate all the feedback. As I've said in previous episodes, Rob's ego is very fragile, so keep it coming. He needs it. So so true. Uh, Kyle, Kyle Benning, as I said, he uh, he left a whole bunch of comments uh, about. The in-stock trade picks. Check those out. They're over on Firestorm Fan. But then he goes on to say, two great issues covered in this episode, Aquaman and Aquaman and the others, are the only issues I'm still buying these days from DC. Parker has continued to do a great job on the main book. I'm really enjoying it. Another cla- and he, Then he goes on to say, another classic issue of Firestorm. I love this one. What a cliffhanger. I can't imagine having to wait a whole month back then when this book was coming out to find out the resolution. Whether I reread it, Whenever I reread it, it still grabs me, and I immediately grab the next issue and dive into it. Good stuff. I'm enjoying reading these. As he pointed out, the once a month thing. This is Shag, by the way. I'm enjoying reading them once a month. Because even though I know it's going to happen, it's like having to wait a month. Oh, it's, it's, it's that itchy feeling you get where you just want to dive into it. So I'm glad, Rob, you're getting to do this for the first time. So this is very exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, holding, off. I'm holding off. I'm waiting so. a month, yeah. Very cool. By the way, I've said it before. Please, if you can, if you know where the story's going... Don't spoil it in the comments. Let's let people find out as we go through this. Definitely share your thoughts on issue 17 and previous issues, but let's not spoil what happens in 18 in the annual. So, um, All right, so Diablo Frank also left an entire string of comments specifically about our in-stock trades picks. Thank you for that, Frank. Then I said some derogatory comments about Frank in the last episode, and he says, I was driving on the freeway when Shag dropped his quote-unquote dick which is what I, was, what I called Frank, says, which had me leaning over the steering wheel for a jarring, too-bold, Brian Blessed-esque ha-ha that may or may not have been humorless, but was involuntary and congratulatory at 80 miles an hour. It was real. <laughs> oh, Frank, I love to think of him driving uh, and almost killing himself because of me. It makes me happy. Gene Hendricks gave his love out on Google Plus and Facebook, and he acknowledged the fact that the cover to issue 16, he was basically he said, so essentially the cover to the Firestorm issue was really the first page of the story. That's cool. Martin Gray and I went back and forth on Twitter 
about the term U.S. Capitol. I mentioned the U.S. Capitol in the last issue. I was referring to the U.S. Capitol building. Him being from England, didn't know what all that craziness was. What, what, pit, pit, what's this? Cheerio. And I had to explain <laughs> that the U.S. Capitol building is actually the name of the building. So he says, Right, well, Washington, D.C. is the whole city. Where U.S. Capitol is a, very, a specific part of the city. And I don't know if this is a, a United States English thing or it's just English in general, but like the Capitol building is spelled with an O. And a capital city, like C-A-P-I-T-O-L, and then a capital, like the city, or, or uh, the, the capital of the United States, is spelled with an A rather than an O at the end. Yes. Uh, it's very strange. Living, living in a state capital myself, I had to learn all this in school. So. We heard from Gabriel M. Cox. He is probably the luckiest man. Uh, he's probably the luckiest nuclear sub out there right now because he just picked up, uh, looks like issues 14, Everything in this storyline, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, and the annual. So he is in for some good stuff. He says he picked him up, and uh, he said he was especially loved issue 17, which is the one we just covered. We also heard from Max Romero. Max is all over the place. We heard from him on Instagram, Google+, and Facebook. He says, this may be, speaking of issue 16, this may be my favorite issue of Firestorm. The circular plot and the reveal at the end blew me away when I read it. No pun intended. Oh! Oh, you're sick. <laughs> Too soon? Uh, I should mention, uh, Max does a, uh, a, a great blog about Plastic Man called It's Plastic Man, and he is going to be on the show at some point with me where we're going to just talk about Plastic Man, so that's coming up soon. Um, yeah, we got a message. Elongated man forever. Yeah, we got a message from David Ace Gutierrez regarding the Kobayashi Maru sequence. You are correct, Rob. Yes, David, I knew that's why I said it. And uh, he says, sad to report, the soup's peanut butter tasted like ass. You know, we've been negligent in, in pimping people's stuff. David Gutierrez is my co-host over on the Ultraverse podcast. Uh, you just mentioned what Max Romero does over on the uh, Plastic Man site. Uh, Gene Hendricks has his own podcast, Hammer Strikes. Diablo Franks on the Marvel Superheroes podcast. Kyle Benning just launched his own. I don't know if you know this or not. It's called, uh, it's right up your alley. It's called King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun, where he covers large size comics. So that's Kyle Benning. Uh, Earth to Chris, you already mentioned Super, Super Mates. Yeah, Bradley Null is... I might be getting my Bradleys mixed up. He's doing the DC Comics show, right? DC Comics Present show? I don't I think. No, that's not him. No? Whoops. That's, that's Russell. So sorry. Okay. That's uh, Russell. Oh, that's Russell. Okay. Never mind. Bradley Nell's just being cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. Bradley, whatever uh, it is, he needs to do a podcast and call it Null and Void. I don't know what the subject oh, would be, that's but that's, brilliant. that's the title. Just, just do that show about something. I don't know. Get oh, on that. Uh, okay. Uh, hey, I just figured out. A podcast about the Phantom Zone, and you call it Nolan Void. <laughs> I love it. They Thank should, you. They should do that. All right. Uh, going to give a shout-out to some folks on Google+. Uh, again, this is uh, just specifically people who supported uh, the last review episode, so if you've done other stuff, don't be offended. Uh, Dale Russell, Martin Scorer, Kevin Culp, Glenn Foster, Rasheen Washington, and Vance Highstand. Then over on Tumblr, uh, same thing, again, specific to the review episode. Kincaid 3, Juan Salvo, uh, Tusuji Tunes, which is our buddy Jeffrey Brown. Yeah, also support us on Facebook. And then Life's Left Turn. Over on Facebook, uh, we got support from Randy Caldwell, which is a.k.a. Mr. Perturbed. Alan King, the old-time comedian. That's very touching because I thought he was dead. Alan Middleton, Arthur Cazeta, Arthur Payer, uh, Bill Bivett and Bailey, Brad O'Leary, Kane Dorr, Callum Noher, Carlos Guimarães, Guimarães, I think. It's hard, hard, isn't it? Yeah. Chris, Chris Hayes, Christian 
Petinato, Daniel Cynical Adams, the composer of our theme song, David Ace Gutierrez, we just mentioned him, Dennis Raymond, Don Dunlop, Emmanuel, Jesus Villanueva, Giancarlo Nurco, Jared West, Jericho, Z. Wilson, Joel Riviora, Juan C. Castillo, Kichi Baker, Kevin Culp again, Kyle Benning, Lauren John Skinkis, Lucas Garrett, Luke Dobb, Mason Jones, Matt Ev, Michael, Michelle Siskoid Albert, Mike Ashley, Mike Fedek, Oscar Oled, Pat Burchard, Peter E. Guarcio, Guarciar? Guar- Guarcio, there you go. Randy Caldwell, we said him again. Ricardo Gomez, R.O. Dan, Rod Pruitt, Ronnie Ling, Roy Galloway, Ruth Sutherland, Sage Williams, Sean Brock, Steve Atwell, and William Boyd. That's a lot of support for one episode of the podcast. Yep. Uh, over on Twitter, uh, we mentioned KG Baker again, but he uh, he also commented because f- he forgot that Ronnie Raymond was from Eugene, Oregon. He wonders if he's a Oregon Ducks fan. Oh, oh, ouch! Is that why you want um, to move to Oregon, Jay? The the day we're recording this, stepping out, stepping, pulling the curtain back a bit, the Oregon Ducks from my beloved st- state of Oregon destroyed my Florida State Seminoles last night. Um. It was it was disgusting. It was so brutal. Uh, FSU had it coming, probably, but either way, I'm, I'm I live in Tallahassee. So, whoops, that's that's out there now, I guess. Anyway, uh, FSU fan, and uh, oh man, that was just devastating. Oh, it was just crushing. All right, back in the show. Uh, we heard from Carl Stark, who's a TARDIS captain. He said that he just listened to the latest Firewater podcast for issue 16. So thanks for the shout out. Love the enthusiasm and the passion. Also over on Twitter, we heard from Kyle Petit, Michael Bailey, David Golding Artist, Oscar uh, Amador, Craig Lives Here, Naya, Ali, Ernest, Alameda, Superhero Story, Emma Von Ryan, Edward Woodard, Ed, who goes by Ozzy Oogie, Rolled Spine Podcast, which is our buddy Diablo Frank, and we heard from Diablo Frank himself. Woo! What a list, folks. So good. Thank you again so much for the support. You guys have been awesome. And I guess it's going to be about another month till we tackle the next issue of Aquaman and Firestorm. Fair to say? I think so. All right. Any last words, sir? Uh, we should mention, because uh, somebody mentioned this on iTunes Review, why their older episodes of the show were no longer on the feed. We had a technical things. We had to get rid of some of them. But you can listen to every episode of the show on the blog, which is fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com. There are links on the sidebar to every single episode, every who's who, all the episodes going Firewater going all the way back to episode one. You can stream them from there or download them from there. So if it's if it's an older episode that's not in the iTunes feed, you can find it at the blog. Yep, it's something we hope to get to someday to fix. But it's we're not technical guys, and we got a lot of other things on our plate right now. So right. hopefully, hopefully we'll get it fixed. Right. So. And if you want to shoot us an and email, fire and water fire water podcast at congress.net, and the Tumblr is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. We'll throw a couple of images from both these comics up on the Tumblr, so be sure to check that out. Give us a little love over there you don't, if you don't mind. Then you can find Rob at AquamanShrine.net. You can, uh, using that same handle, Aquaman Shrine, you can find him on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. You can find me at FirestormFan.com. Uh, you can also find me using, again, that same handle, FirestormFan, on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram. Woo! By the way, I did not sh- do a shout-out to all the Instagram people. Um, if you're on Instagram and you want to hear your name on the show, Leave a comment, please. Because what's happened is Instagram is very popular. And they love them some Firestorm over there. So a lot of the posts I put on Instagram get like a zillion likes. But a lot of people, they're just reacting to the picture. Because, you know, I put the cover of Firestorm. So if, if, if you actually listen to the show, please put a comment. I'll be sure you get your name set on the show. How's that? Seems reasonable. Yeah. All right. Until next time, folks, fan the flame. 
in Ride the Wave. All hail almighty Grodd. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman. Super friends forever. Yeah! With the super friends working as a team, we'll be wiped out one by one. That's precisely why I've asked you all here today. They probably can wipe us out unless we two form a bond to work together. The 13 of us will form the most powerful and sinister group the world has ever seen. From now on, we'll be known as the Legion of Doom. But we'll need a headquarters, too. Yes, and I say it should be at the bottom of the ocean. We'll hide it under the ice of the polar cap. Your brain must be frozen, Captain Cold. The jungle is the only logical place. <laughs>